Hey, well, good morning. It's good to see each one of you here today. I'm Paul Johnson. I'm the lead pastor at Woodridge and part of our Aspen Grove Network. Uh, Aaron's at Woodridge, so he spoke on Saturday night and twice on Sunday morning, and it's my privilege to be out and get a chance to speak and continue the series that we're in uh, today. We're looking at the genealogy of Jesus as part of our uh, Christmas uh, series. And uh, I just want to challenge all of you that are part of the Highlands to be thinking right now about who you could invite to come with you on Christmas Eve. Maybe it's a, a relative, a friend, a neighbor, somebody who's moved in recently where you live. But there's so many people that on Christmas Eve want to uh, get a chance to connect with God. And I just don't think there are options out there that are better than what you do here at the Highlands for giving a chance for people to connect with God. I want to pray for us, pray for the needs we have, and then uh, needs in our world, and then we'll look at our talk for today. Join with me as we pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we come before you and we've given you praise and song. We give you our praise and we bow the knee to you and acknowledge you're God and we're not. We, we pray for the needs of people in the Highland Church that you would be uh, present showing and directing them for people that uh, are facing challenges at work or challenges in families, for uh kids and students that are going through difficult times. Lord, for uh, people that um, uh, are just facing uncertainty and anxiety that they would find, as was just described, peace in you, a tangible peace from you. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to open up to one another, to share our needs, to get in uh, groups that would allow us to uh, connect with other people and be in relationship. Because we know so many times the answers to our prayers are the very people that you provide in our lives. Lord, we pray beyond uh, just our needs. We think of the needs across our country and around our world. I, I pray today for uh, Pastor Drew Johnson and Pastor Laurel Bunker as they're in Togo, Africa, uh, learning about the ministry and mission that's going on there and how we can be even better partners with them. Lord, use them and use this in their life and use it in the work that we do as Aspen Grove. Lord, we also pray for the Ukraine. And just as they're facing winter season like we're facing it, but for many of them where their electricity and uh, source for heating is compromised. Lord, we pray that you would um, be with those people and you would give them hope. I thank you for Sergey, who we support, and his wife, Lessa, uh, and the work that they're doing as a volunteer chaplain with the Army and uh, getting stoves to uh, people's families and getting food and, and praying and leading soldiers to a relationship with you. Lord, we invite you to do good in the midst of those challenging times. We pray for all the 
three churches of Aspen Grove for Mercy Hill and the remodel they're doing on the um, warehouse space that they have in Minnetonka, for Woodridge and the ministry that goes there and use Pastor uh, Aaron as he speaks today. And then, Lord, here at the Highlands, that as we gather together, we invite you to do the miracle that only you can do. And that's take the scripture that I read and the words that I speak and speak to each one of us so that we would live in a different way and know you in a different way and impact our world because of the time we spend together today. We ask you to do all that in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. So uh, how many have ever done your uh, genealogy? You know, like the 23andMe or Ancestry.com? Anybody do that? M my mom uh, was super into genealogy, in part because we have a r pretty interesting genealogy. She could trace it back to Jamestown on, on one part of our family tree. She traces it back to uh, a relative, John Holland, who came on the Mayflower. So at some point when I was a kid, she gave me this little certificate that I was a member of the Mayflower Society. And you know, when you, you learn you have famous relatives, you feel pretty good about that. And then there are times where you learn you have someone who kind of behaved badly. Like one of my uh, distant relatives is Blackbeard the Pirate. And you know, now I, you know, I, the only trouble with that is that I'm kind of a little proud that I've got pirate blood in me. You know, there's part of me that really identifies. Terrell goes, don't identify too much with that pirate kind of thinking. I, I'm not into that. And if you've ever um, tried to read through the New Testament and you open it up and you start in Matthew chapter 1 and you go, hard name begets hard name begets hard name. You know, what's going on here? Why would someone list this long genealogy? Well, you know, the genealogies uh, function in the Bible almost as a resume or a, a pedigree. They, they, they show you where someone has come from and what that person is about. And they're very important. That's why this Christmas season, we're looking at the genealogy that's recorded in Matthew and the one that's recorded in Luke. In Matthew 1, verse 1, it says, This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And he's kind of getting the flow there that Jesus, who we're looking at, has the resume and pedigree of coming and being the Messiah. And then down in verse 6, we look at the person we're going to look at today. It says, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, was that shocking for anybody when I read that? When the first people that read that or heard those 11 words, they would have been utterly shocked and disturbed by what that says. Because, first of all, uh, it lists women. And in all male genealogy, there are four women that are listed. And then secondly, um, when it brings up Uriah and uh, Bathsheba, they're Gentiles. And Jewish men at this time would pray a prayer every morning, and they would 
thank God that they were not born a Gentile dog. And this isn't when dogs were man's best friend. They just would roam around and, and be a terror on a community. In other words, Jewish people at this time, uh, the, the word Gentile actually means other. They just said, there's us and we're important. And then there's the other. And they'd go, why in the genealogy of the Messiah would you take the time to mention Gentiles? But the biggest thing, the biggest and most cringeworthy aspect of these 11 words is when it mentions the fact that Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And that brought up some of the greatest dirty laundry in one of the heroes, in fact, probably the greatest hero, in a sense, of the people that heard this. King David had this terrible episode of sin. And we're going to talk about it in just a minute. And I'll explain what happened in his life. I'll explain uh, what I think, why he got to that point. But here in Matthew, what this is doing is Matthew, right at the start, is introducing things that will unfold in his gospel. Um, One is that Jesus, the Messiah, is for everybody. And anyone and everyone who puts faith in Jesus, belongs to Jesus, and receives all the benefit of his death on the cross and all the benefit of his resurrection. And then secondly, and this is so important, that, that, that uh, faith in Jesus, Jesus and the kind of Messiah that he was, an unexpected Messiah with an upside-down kingdom, was actually coming for bad people. He was the Messiah for bad people. David had this history of doing something really awful. In fact, I think when I describe it to you, you'll go, no, I've never done anything close to that. And, and, and he's, in, he's a, the pattern for following or getting to know and, and seeking after God. You know, I have friends that don't go to church and they'll tell me, you know, I, I, I respect that you're a pastor, but you know what I hate about church is that people that go to church are such hypocrites. And, and you know, they, they'll go on and give some examples. And I'll go, you know, I agree with you. When Christians behave badly, I hate that they behave badly. But at least at, at my church and the churches that are part of Aspen Grove, I don't think we're really hypocrites because a, a hypocrite is pretending there's something that we're not. I don't know. I'll go to them. I don't know if you knew this or not, but really to qualify to be part of our church, you need to admit you're bad. You, you need to admit and go, I'm bad. I'm wrong. You know, I, I think we ought to add bad to the bone as a worship song because it just would identify who we really are. That, that we're bad and we're forgiven and we're loved and we're changed, but that at the core, anyone who comes to Christ recognizes their own story of sin. In fact, the Bible story in many ways is about a loving and gracious God working with bad people. 
Well, let's dive in, and I'll tell you this story. I don't have it recorded for you. You can read it at home in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. It's a story about King David, and King David in 1 Samuel 13, 14, and then in Acts 13, 20, is called a man after God's own heart. But he's a man after God's own heart who behaves in an evil way and then follows it up with more evil and then follows it up with more evil until finally, uh, when he thought he had solved it all, he's confronted by Nathan the prophet and he repents of his sin and he's forgiven of his sin and eventually he's restored to life, to life with God to life in the community, and to living out his reign as king. Some of the things we can learn as we listen to the story is that sin has a way of multiplying. Uh, We also can learn that God forgives sin when we repent. And repent is just agreeing with God. Just going, I'm I'm going the wrong way. I'm going in a self-directed way and turning around. That's what uh, repent means turning around and following after God. And that when people recognize their sin and turn away from it and turn to God, they can be forgiven and they can be used again. See, David had used his position as king to take something that didn't belong to him, to hurt someone he should have protected as a a colleague and as a neighbor and as a friend and as a commander. Here's the story. The the people of Israel were off at war. And it starts out by saying that kings should go off to war with their soldiers. But David didn't. And he was in his palace and he went to a window and he looked out his palace and somewhere out in Jerusalem he saw a woman up on the top of uh, their housing area, bathing. She was an attractive woman. And lust caught up with David. And he sent for, he sent for just this common woman, Bathsheba, uh, who's married to one of his soldiers, to come, to come into his house. And he had sexual relations with her. And then he sent her home. The only problem is Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant and told King David that that was the case. So instead of at that point going, wow, did I blow it? What what a huge mistake. But I'm going to repent and I'm going to get right with God. What he does is he concocts a new level of evil. He goes, I know what I'll do. Let's bring Uriah back home from the from the war and Uriah comes back home and David goes go and spend a little R&R with your wife and Uriah goes King David I'm your soldier and I've made an oath to you and to the men that that I will serve and that I won't I won't go into my house and, and I won't be with my wife until this war is ended so He just slept outside of his house. He would not go in. So David goes, I know what I'll do. 
let's have a party as long as we have Uriah here. He had Uriah at the party, and he got Uriah drunk. He thought, well, if he's drunk, then for sure he'll go, and we'll get this problem solved. But Uriah didn't go along, even though he was intoxicated. He wouldn't go in and be with his wife. So King David, in a devilish and evil scheme, writes a letter to his general and says, I want you to do an all-out frontal attack on the city, and I want Uriah to lead the way, and I want you to tell most of the men, not all of them, but most of the men, as Uriah and a small group of men get right up to the city wall for them to fall back. Now the general's reading this and he's going, I, this, is, this is a crazy way to do a military battle. But it's the orders of the king. And David found a way to get Uriah out of the picture by murdering him compromising other men that were part of his troops and having them murdered. Now, you know, Bathsheba, she was in no position to deny the king. Th this is a sexual assault. You know, you look at the Ten Commandments, and you go, David, you're breaking so many of them. And yet David is called in the Bible, he's one of two people that are called a man after God's own heart. And you go, God, how in the world can he be a man after your own heart? And even more than that, if he is a man after your own heart, how, how and, and why did, did he fall into such a, a, a horrid way of acting and compounding sin after sin after sin with cover-up and deception and, and, and murder and all the rest? See, David had been a man after God's own heart. He, he had good guardrails in place. He, he could have gone to war like he usually did and like kings were supposed to do. He could have abstained from sex like he asked all his soldiers to do because he wanted to honor God. He could have followed the Ten Commandments and not coveted his neighbor's wife. He could have acted like a king of Israel and protected his people the way God would, instead of acting like every one of the other kings of all the other nations around them. You just go, why, David? Why did that happen? Do you ever feel that in your own life? Maybe with this, a relative, a friend, a business colleague, or yourself, and you just go, why and how did I blow it? How did, I, how did I get in this position where I, I'm doing something that I'm, I'm so ashamed of and, and that I know is wrong? How did that happen? You know, when Nathan the prophet confronted David, he told him a story. And in the story, he said there was a, a, a shepherd and he was married and they they or the, and, and just a farmer, he had one sheep. And he cared for that sheep in every way he possibly could. And near him was a large landowner with lots of animals and lots of sheep. And that large landowner wanted to throw a party. So instead of 
uh, taking one of his sheep for that party and for the meal. He came and stole the one little sheep of this farmer, of this farmer, this poor farmer, and killed that sheep, and they ate that for their meal. And David is just disgusted as he hears this story. And he goes, that, that man ought to be put to death. That's so wrong. And then in one of my favorite and such a poignant line in the Bible, Nathan the prophet goes, that man is you. And David is just broken. You know, it's interesting because I believe he was broken inside out. It, it wasn't a, a breaking where it was like, oh, well, you're on to the shameful things I've done. I better find a way of looking good in your sight. It, it, it wasn't like, well, I'll apologize to, on this and we'll get back to business as usual. David recognized that there was something wrong in his human heart, his spirit, his human will. You know, people ask me, when you, when you say that, your heart, will, spirit, what do you mean? It's sort of that it's taking your, your thinking, your conscience and unconscious mind, your emotions, your volitional will, and they all come together. And the word the Bible uses is the word spirit or heart as what that center is. In fact, it's interesting if you go to um, the Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows out of it. In other words, if there was one thing you ought to do to protect your life, there was one thing you want to encourage your spouse, your kids, people you work with to do, is to be aware of what's going on in their inner life. Because it's out of there that everything flows. So if you're unaware of that, like David became unaware of it, you can end up letting a lot of evil flow out of your life. Now, we know what David did to see transformation and change in his life because in Psalm 51, David writes a psalm, and if, you, if we could pull that up on the screen, uh, right at the start of the psalm, it says, uh, right, and this is right before the words in, uh, in uh, verse 1, it says, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. In, in other words, one of their worship songs was about David's sin. And David's recovery from that. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, it'd be like if we go, hey, Brian, could you write a song about, you know, and some awful, evil thing that happened? Well, that's what Psalm 51 is. And it's all about how David asks for forgiveness and recognizes the evil that he's done. But I want you to look down and look on your screen at the words that start in verse 10. It, there, it's so interesting because in verse 10, down through 10 through 17, uh, note the number of times that the word heart or spirit is used. It says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me, heart and spirit. Do not cast your Holy Spirit from my presence 
or, or do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. David was one of the few people in the Old Testament that experienced the full power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And then look at the next line, and grant me a willing spirit or a willing heart to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifices. In other words, they would bring animal sacrifices as part of their worship, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. But then look at the type of worship that God does love. My sacrifice, my worship, that's what David's saying, oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. See, David was a, a man who had good boundaries in place. David was a man who knew God. But at some point, he let his heart, his human spirit, slip into an, an attitude of indifference. And in that process, David's heart, his inner life, slipped away. And then out of that, when it had slipped away, he engaged in all these terrible acts of sin. In other words, for David, it, was, it wasn't... When he looked at it, it was like, how in the world did that happen? And what he recognizes and tells us in Psalm 51 is it happened because I wasn't paying attention to my heart. Like I mentioned in Proverbs 4.23, it says that above all else, guard your heart for everything flows out of it. So in other words, if you look at what you do, you can trace it back to what's going on in your heart. You know, a, a few few years ago, I was I woke up in the morning and I looked at my Fitbit and I, I like to exercise. I have a real high step goal for each day, but I, I looked at uh, I was trying to look at what my sleep was the night before, and the strange thing I noticed is that I already in the morning at uh, 7 a.m. had six hours of high-intensity aerobic workout. And I, I'm just going, how, how could that be? What's going on? You know what was happening? I had something that's called uh, atrial flutter. And atrial flutter is where a circuit develops in one of the chambers of your heart, and your heart beats at 150 to 200 beats a minute, not efficient beats at all, and it just goes, 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 goes at that pace. And when I got back and I talked to the doctor, the doctor said, we have this amazing machine. We're going to put a probe up through your groin up into that chamber, and we're going to uh, cauterize that circuit. We're just going to burn it. And when we do that, atrial flutter goes away. So I, I wore my Fitbit while they were doing the procedure. And uh, after the procedure was done, I looked and here my beats are 150, 160, bump, 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 bump. And then in one instant, drop down to 62 beats a minute. 
in an instant by that procedure, I was healed. You know what this made me do, though? That with a little uh, tachycardia and a little high blood pressure is every week I check my blood pressure, I check my pulse rate, I do a heart check. And, and you know what? I, I, when I learned that, I thought, you know, I ought to be doing a, a spiritual heart check. You know, there, there are certain things that it's great to do every day. Read your Bible and pray and, and make sure you're worshiping God, that you're loving God and loving people. But for me, once a week, I take about 10 minutes and I use these words in Psalm 51 as a way of doing a heart check. So here are the questions I ask in my weekly heart check. I just did it yesterday. Is my heart pure? See, a pure heart isn't compartmentalized. It doesn't have duplicity as part of it. Do I recognize any areas where I've let impure thoughts and uh, beliefs enter in to my inner life? And then, you know what you note there? In, uh, if you read these in, in Psalm 51, is you don't do anything about it. You just note the problem, and then it says, Create in me a pure heart, O God. When I note that, I go, God, would you create in me a pure heart? And again and again, I've seen him answer that prayer. And then the second question I ask is, do I have a steadfast spirit? Being steadfast is about endurance and perseverance in hard and difficult times. Whenever I hear someone has a cancer diagnosis, in addition to praying for their healing, and praying that the disease would end. I know the battle it can be when they go through a disease like that, and I pray that they would have a steadfast spirit, that God would give them endurance and perseverance in the difficult and hard times. You know people right now that are facing hard and difficult times, emotionally, relationally, in terms of some disease that they're battling, and what they need is a steadfast spirit. Well, when I do that examination, I don't try to gain a steadfast spirit on my own. It says, renew a steadfast spirit within me. In other words, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, work in my inner life to renew me, to bring me back to what I first knew, to bring me back to the joy of my salvation and give me a steadfast spirit. And then the third question, do I have a willing spirit to sustain me? I, I prayed that verse every day for one year. I, I would open my Bible up and read that one verse. You know why? Because I don't have a very willing spirit. I want to be self-directed. I want to be in control. I want to be in charge. And there are lots of times where God asks me to do things or obey things or, or follow in certain ways. And it's not how I would want to do it. So I, I prayed every day, grant me a willing spirit that will sustain me, keep me going for the long run. When, when I examine and I look at that, I go, how willing have I been to follow you, God, and follow your way and seek after you and what you describe to do? And then, again, just notice, it says, grant me. It's a prayer request. God, you do the work somehow. Work, do, do work in my heart. Like the doctor when he did that ablation. 
do work in my heart, in my spirit, so that I would have a willing spirit. And then the last question I ask is down in verse 17. Do I have a broken spirit, a broken and contrite or humble heart, a humble heart before God? And you know, it's interesting because in these verses, it, it doesn't say that God will give that to you. It says we need to choose it. We need to choose to have a broken spirit. We need to choose to repent. We need to choose to have a humble heart before God. But do you see what it is when you do it? King David said, that's when I'm really worshiping you. When my heart is humble before you, that's where I worship you. No one's immune to doing really awful and bad things. Even people that are called a person after God's own heart. But if you tend to your inner life, you tend to your spirit, and you tend to your heart, there is the strong likelihood. You do that on a regular basis that your heart will be right with God and goodness and mercy and love will flow out of it. Will you stand up? I'm going to pray for us and then our worship team's going to come back and uh, close our service with the time of worship and praise. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, would you help us at the Highlands to be people that take our inner life seriously? Would you help us to examine our heart, examine our spirit, and invite you to work from the inside out to change us? Lord, we're thankful that your good news is for bad people. We thank you that you're the kind of Messiah that works with bad people. We thank you, Lord God, that um, your good news is for everyone. Help us, Lord, to be people this Christmas season that look at what's going on in our inner life and take that seriously and allow you to create hearts that are broken, hearts that are contrite, hearts that are ready to follow after you